Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world not available out of the bullpen for the Diamondbacks in Game 4 of the NLCS. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we've we've reached our limit for the year. Yeah, uh, I know they've already declared the bullpen game, and when you start the game with Joe Mantiply, it is going to take everybody, but this podcast is going to take all of us. So sorry to Tori Lovello, we will not be available in Game 4, and this Friday edition of Baseball Barbacast, we will review games four of the ALCS, game three of the NLCS, and preview, of course, game five and four on the back half. But we're actually going to begin in the American League this morning on Friday uh, because uh, it's a little bit fresher and we are just doing it in a random order. So we'll get to the Phillies and D-backs, which Jake, of course, was in attendance for, Cattell Marte's walk-off in the second half of the show. But let's begin back in Texas where the Astros were trying to even things up. And we had a pitching matchup of Jose Urquidy in his 9 millionth postseason start versus Heen Dog. It was Heen Dog bump day. Heen Dog to Dane Dunning, the piggyback of Texas Rangers fans' dreams, or not, <laughs> apparently, because Andrew Heaney uh, very quickly did not appear to have it. Now, I think even more so, the Astros hitters appeared to have it. And that has been very apparent, not just in these last two games in the ALCS at Globe Life, but all season long. I believe this is the seventh or eighth straight victory <laughs> that the Astros have had at this ballpark. It is the opposite of their experience at home. It is the road field advantage. Tough piggyback. This was the equivalent of uh, you think it's going to be like a you know a cute toddler, maybe mm. like a cousin, mm. just hopping on your back. Yeah, it's and then it's like Jose Abreu and you stumble and fall on your face. And yeah, then it's just like a bunch of lead instead or like a, a, a bucket of baked beans is just dumped on your back. This yeah. uh, this was a piggyback that crushed Andrew Heaney on the, on the front end. He does not get out of the first inning. No, no. We got, uh, you know, Altuve. Altuve, if we were worried about him over that first round, which he sure made us worried. He looks fantastic. Him and Bregman uh, setting the tone, except they moved Dubon to the second spot. Uh, I guess because Heaney's starting and it works. He has two more hits. Of course, he had three hits uh, earlier in the game before, so he looked great. Bregman triple, Jordan single. It's 3 nothing in the blink of an eye. They leave him in there to get Abreu and Tucker, but then McCormick walks in, and here comes Dane Dunning a little bit earlier than he would have expected, although I would say maybe just start Dane Dunning. He was better than Andrew Heaney the entire season. Maybe you trust him. I know we're trying to work the matchups, but if you're going to make him in at some point, it feels like maybe you just start the guy. But anyway, they get out of it, but it's 3 nothing, and we're, we're we're not feeling great. We're not feeling great in Globe Life. Uh, those Rangers fans are, are not feeling especially confident. Altuve is on another planet right now. I think if you count the number of times he like licks the air in, in a particular at-bat, you know how locked in he is. It's like cutting a tree open, counting the rings, you know its age. 
if you count the Altuve like tongue waggles per PA, that's how you know he's he's in the moment. <laughs> he's also like again, we've seen so much of him. That was his one hundredth career postseason game. Incredible. Like, there's so many. Like, we're so used to it that a lot of it we're kind of numb to and, and we take for granted. Um, but he's having a, a damn good time up there. He is just such a yeah. such a fun player to watch. And you know, later in the game, we get the ump cam of him almost getting hit in the head. He falls down. He's laughing. He gets back up, and he smokes another ball. Like he's he's just he's amazing. Anyway, so that's Altuve. It's three nothing. We're worried it's going to be thirty nothing. But no, again, here come the Rangers. They actually answer back quite quickly. We get Nadolis Garcia homer uh, to lead off the second. We get another run. We get Josh Young a uh, sack fly. Now it's three to two, and Urquidy. Again, in his millionth postseason game, or so it feels like, but he is hittable, right? I know he looked not particularly hittable uh, against the Twins, but the Rangers should be able to hit him, and they started to hit him. And then we get a freakish classic Corey Seager home run. Oh, man. On a, on a ball that is above the strike zone by a good amount. And one of those home runs where they flash to the pitcher, and the pitcher is mad, but it's more incredulousness than frustration. Like, Urquidy is, oh, it's like a 0-0 count, and I tried to elevate a fastball as a ball, and he hit it out backside. You know, like, what yeah. am I supposed to, it was a what am I supposed to do look. Yeah, and that was really an, an only a matter of time. Semyon and Seager had just looked awful um, through the first few games, and finally we started to see some signs of life from both of them, but that home run ties the game and now we're now we're feeling good not just that ties the game now Evan Carter single now Adolis Garcia singles now it's like uh oh we got to go to our bullpen Dusty Baker we go to Ryan Stanek again it's only the third inning here so long way to go for both teams at this point we're expecting a slugfest on both sides Ryan Stanek comes in for Mitch Garver and Mitch Garver swings at a first pitch slider and grounds into a double play momentum flush down the toilet for the Rangers, and the game remains tied. Garver versus Stanek, that's a real battle of friends of the BBQ right there, actually. It's a good Low point. Key. It's a good point. Stanek's more of an OG, I would say, but uh, I mean, Garver's I definitely to, good people. But I used to play Fortnite with Garver. There yeah, was like, when I was like that's playing Fortnite, he was one of the people who I was, I was that's true. Yeah, Gar, Garv Sauce uh, on Xbox, uh, I, he's definitely uh, a seasoned uh, gamer, but you know, Stanek, I feel like. You know, we watched that guy give up a home run in the Futures game. I mean, we <laughs> we've yeah. seen him we've seen him have quite a, a major league career, and we we are quite a fan of him and his hair. Anyway, we go to the fourth, and once again, oh, can we not let Martin Maldonado reach base? Can we not walk him at the very least? Gotta Don't make him beat him. you. Oh two, it's oh two, and then he throws four straight balls. And at this point, it's like, oh no! Not only does Heen Dog not have it. But Dundog, nobody calls him that. He doesn't have it either. <laughs> uh, he walks Maldonado. He walks out to right? Dubon singles. Now it's bases loaded. Strikes out Bregman. Oh, but we're not going to leave Cody Bradford. Or sorry, we're not going to leave Dunning in to fade Jordan. Let's bring in Cody Bradford, who got Jordan out yesterday. Well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> because Leone Tavares got Jordan out yesterday. Cody Bradford did not. I think you have to go to Bradford there. I, 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 do, I know. I agree. I, this is a, a Jordan fallacy totally. is that he's bad against left-handed pitching. Left-handed pitchers are better against left-handed hitters. And that's why exactly. teams keep doing this, right? Yes. yes. But it is not burned because of time you, and time yes, again. Not because Jordan has any flaw, mm-hmm. if that tracks. Correct. Um, now, credit to so Cody you have Bradford. To go, you have to go to Bradford in that spot. 
Totally. Credit to Cody Radford, at least for the next few pitches. I mean, a good <laughs> battle. A good battle with Alvarez. Like, he was throwing. He was locating. He was actually throwing the pitches where he wanted to throw to Jordan Alvarez, which is a very hard thing to do. And he obviously did not do it the night before. But Jordan's Jordan. He keeps fighting them off. He watches enough pitches. And then by pitches seven, eight, nine, they're they're in there. They're in the strike zone. And he smashes a changeup very, very, very deep to right center. I believe it would have been a grand slam in most major league ballparks. Settles for a sack fly. You you exhale and you think, okay, whew, it's four to three. We're still in this thing. Jose Barry's like, actually, no, you're not still in this thing. I'm going to hit my third 440-foot home run of the postseason. This was a truly terrible pitch um, to Abreu. Again, though, uh, you know, six six pitch of the at-bat. He mostly stays out of his middle. And then Abreu, who has been heating up this postseason, very cool to see. And that, th- again, this is kind of what I wrote about at Fox when Abreu did it against Minnesota. Like, these are the moments that they signed him for. Not because, like, yeah, we signed him. But, like, very specifically, you think you have gotten away with it, right? By striking out Bregman. And by getting Jordan to merely fly out, you think you have you have done your job, and then Jose Braves coming up, and you're just like, "Well, shit." <laughs> At that point, you uh, yeah, then then it's seven to three, and we're really that was game. feeling good. Uh, that was game. Like yeah. that one pitch was the game. Yep. Uh, Bradford, like you said, very impressive against Jordan. Jordan running that to a nine pitch at bat enables the home run in the next at bat because. I, I know Bradford has thrown more innings and more pitches. He's not like a one-inning reliever by any respect. But when you throw that many pitches in quick succession, you are throwing all your stuff. So you're giving all the looks to the team. But then like you are forcing yourself to focus and lock in for like an extended stretch and you're doing a lot of exercise. So whenever a, a pitching coach comes out for a, a visit, I would say like half the time that is just an aerobic rest mm-hmm. is the point. And yeah. so when you have to throw that many pitches in quick succession, you lose focus just a little bit. A fastball has just a little bit too much of the plate and Jose Abreu hits it just a little bit too far. Yeah. For your right, I'll fly through. I'll fly through the rest of the game. So Hunter Brown comes in. He looks fantastic. No runs in the bottom of the fourth, top of the fifth. Bottom of the fifth is really when you know, oh, this is not the Rangers night. Uh, Corey Seager lines the ball to Jose Abreu with Marcus Semien on first base. Abreu is not the fact he was pretty far back. He kind of hustles to tag Semien on first look. It looks like he missed him. Incredible for Semien to get back because Seager absolutely crushed that ball 109 off the bat. But on instant replay, he tagged the batting glove that was kind of peeking out of Marcus Semien's back pocket. And it was just the mowers and, and Semyon realized that they showed him on, on the on the TV basically voicing to the umpire because he saw it on the big screen, like he got my batting glove. And it was just like a well, that's that's the kind of night you're having. Um, now again, the Astros won the game for other reasons, but it was a moment where they seemed to be putting some more pressure on. Uh, and instead it was not it was not gonna happen. And that's when that's really when I was like, okay, that is definitely GG. Eventually Will Smith comes in, he gives up a homer to Chaz McCormick. Now we're now we're really feeling shitty, and uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. Altuve was like inches from hitting another home run later, gets uh, settled for a double. Jordan drives in another run, uh, RBI single, and that makes it ten three, and that would be the final score. But the Semyon play never would happen to Joey Wendell, you know. 
Oh my God. So true. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. People have, you know, have you seen like when guys have their sliding mitt in their back pocket, even yeah. before they're hitting, or, or sometimes they'll have it like an Evo shield, like over their butt cheek. And I, I never understand that. Like sometimes it's, it's poking out, but I guess you want to expand as much as possible for maximum hit by pitch opportunities. But in this yeah. case, it's the opposite. You want to be probably as small as yeah. possible to avoid tagging opportunities. No batting gloves. When you hit means no batting gloves in your pocket. Okay. Uh, here, here's my thought. Ready for a dumb idea? You're a uniform that expands when you're at the plate and is baggy. And then when you reach first, you press a like button. Like and then it, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I it like becomes that. like a skin-tight cycling outfit <laughs> on I'm the in. bases. I'm in. Uh, you, well, you're going to have to tell guys where to get that because you're the, you're the cyclist. Uh, other takeaways from this game in general, um, before we spin it forward, again, we get another – six plus scoreless from the Astros bullpen. I know it took a little bit of luck with that Semyon play, but Hunter Brown was great. Phil Maton was great. Like you mentioned, Stanek Montero, like I know Stanek threw one pitch, but again, that's, that is clearly still a massive strength for this team. I know that the Rangers didn't use their best relievers, but they don't have very many best relievers. So if they're not using Jose Leclerc, really anything is possible. And that is what we saw last night. The game got away from them in a big way. And now they have to play them again uh, tonight. And I am still at home, which is apparently not a good thing for the Rangers in this case. Uh, the pitching matchup will be Justin Verlander against Jordan Montgomery. So we're back to uh, the beginning. And I mean, you know, Jordan Montgomery legacy game. Uh, I'll say it. <laughs> Not that he hasn't already done a whole bunch for this team during the second half and in the postseason. And, you know, it's not like he, he if he gets bombed, he choked because like clearly the Astros are killing the ball at Globe Life Field and they've heated up and it's a tough matchup. At the same time, man, like you've already made a bunch of money. You can make even more if you can shut down Houston in this game uh, and Verlander will see because he again he did not look very good and he still made it through a good chunk of the game so maybe that's an opportunity for Texas to score more runs against him this time these two teams should just switch stadiums I think oh interesting they clearly I mean it's close enough they clearly don't like playing at home against the other guys so it's like, right right I think because Texas has been good at home just not against the yeah. Astros just do so. a little do a little stadium you know, wife swap situation yeah, very possible. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I imagine at this stage, uh, the Astros do not want to change anything. Although, as, as our, our colleague Rowan Kavner <laughs> tweeted, yeah, this is the word. They, they got themselves home field advantage back. That was possibly a massive mistake. But they can take the series lead tonight. That is the early game this time, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. Very much looking forward to that one. All right, Jake, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we will recap NLCS Game 3, which the Phillies did not win. We'll be ready. Gasp. Gasp. Hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official baseball barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumpy rafter, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. 
Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's dig in to NLCS Game 3. One of the weirder postseason games I can remember. It was close. Every 90 feet mattered. And yet the payoff was somewhat underwhelming. Let's start at the beginning. Let's paint the picture here. We've That's got a good place to start, usually. Always at the beginning. Not my uh, grandfather, rest in peace. He would always start a story in the middle, mm. work to the front, and then skip to the back. Mm-hmm. Um, not a great Can't, story. Let's not do that for the baseball game. Okay, so in the eighth, no. Uh, we've got Ranger Suarez. We've got Brandon Fott. And these are the two three starters for these teams. And so part of you expected a slight, maybe a slight downtick in pitching quality. But no. Both of these mid-rotation men pitched above that. Holy Lord, Jordan. Yeah. Let's talk about Ranger Suarez first. Yeah. If that's okay. That's fine. Sure. Wow. What a hoss. <laughs> I just, both pitchers, so it's like, oh, like, they're the three starters. Now, again, it still does look like the ace-off of all ace-offs when we compare it to game four, which we'll get to. But, like, both of these pitchers delivered literally historic performances. Ranger Suarez lowering his postseason ERA to, like, the lowest of all time <laughs> below Sandy Koufax, you know, minimum 20 innings. And then you have Brandon Fott. I mean, Sarah Legs is throwing out facts about this Fott start every five minutes that I genuinely could not believe. He was the first pitcher in postseason history to deliver back-to-back starts of zero runs and zero walks allowed. That how is that possible? Not rookie. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read that again. That like this this does not seem possible. He was the first pitcher to deliver two straight starts in the playoffs with no runs and no walks allowed. Okay, most strikeouts in a game in a postseason game with zero walks among rookies. It's him and it's Don Newcomb in 1949 World Series. Like, this is just insane shit, right? So when we talked about Brandon Fott ahead of it, we were like, I hope he can keep him in it. (laughs) Instead, he was like, here's the best start of my life. It was incredible. But Suarez was great too. Suarez looking and and he's feeling his position. Like, both of them were just tremendous. It was very cool. Um, Suarez was, like, the stuff was down a bit. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, like his velo is down a little bit, but his command right now in the playoffs is just so Dude, good. Glove side, and he was getting insane. The umpiring was very bad last night. We can yes. start. That was a fact on both sides. I Sonia was very bad, but so both pitchers were taking advantage. But the the pitches, both of them getting just called strike three. It was it was so impressive. The fastball commit, right? Both sides of the dish, and Suarez. The way you're right. The way he fields his position is just so uber confident. He is so unflappable. He is the ex- perfect example of a pitcher who just cold-blooded, slow heartbeat, rise to the moment in a postseason game. Um, great job from him. Fought. Yeah. What the fuck? So we talked about how, why he was a big deal hopping into the year on the last mm-hmm. pod, right? Mm-hmm. And everything that he showed yesterday was like the best case scenario for him as a pitcher, where the fastball is very good. But when the command of it is bad, is like just average, it plays down. But when the command is on, it plays up. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Seven of the first nine Phillies were down 0-1. So he was just spotting that heater early in counts, getting up on the Phillies. They were having short at-bats, forcing early count contact, and 
that aggressive approach definitely hurt Philly yesterday. And we and we talked about the difference between command and control and, and the quality strikes because getting ahead against the Phillies is sometimes hard because they like to swing at the first pitch. So you have to be throwing strikes with the first pitch that they don't want to hit over the fence or that they can't hit over the fence, which is probably more important because they were you know, swinging at these pitches. And you could tell you know, some of those guys in the top half of the lineup were just getting so, so, so frustrated. And yeah, I mean, really nobody could do anything. I mean, there, there were very few. And, and the, the other big theme of this game was they were not giving Harper anything to hit. If you look at the pitches Harper saw last night, there was basically one or two in the zone. He ends up having, you know, drawing two walks, even at the very end of the game. Like they were just not messing with him, which they could do because unfortunately Alec Bohm, who has looked like Brooks Robinson on defense, has looked like bad Brooks Robinson on offense, <laughs> which is not a very good hitter. And honestly, like that has been, you know, what it feels like, Jake, is Nick Castellanos last postseason, who was batting fifth all of last postseason and was struggling, struggling, struggling. I don't know what the exact lineup fix is. But it's Boehm not the problem. Like, yeah. Bohm has looked better over the last couple games. He, th- I'll defend him quickly. He, the Braves was a bad matchup for him. A lot of velo, less velo here. He's hit some balls hard right at guys. I think mm-hmm. he's on it. I understand putting him behind like the greatest postseason hitter of all time <laughs> is maybe a bizarre strategy. But well, I'm actually and, and maybe, not. Too maybe he about is Bohm. the best answer. I don't know. Like I just know I'm seeing a lot of people being like, we need to get real protection. I don't know if that means yeah. saying Bohm needs to step up. We need to move real Mudo yeah. up. We need to move like I don't know. Uh, but it is it it felt very clear what the game plan was. So in the first two games with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen, those guys pitched solidly, but just had a couple misses in the zone. And the Phillies hopped on them. There was really only one mistake all start from Brandon Fott, and that was a cement mixer hanging slider he threw to Kyle Schwarber in the second time through that Schwarber hit foul and gone, mm-hmm. and then he did not make another mistake. That yeah, was he, the opportunity. That was the yeah, pitch. And it was the, a bad the one pitch, that Marsh and hit Schwarber just missed it. Fastball down the middle for a double, but other than that, yeah, there was – yeah. There was so little opportunity uh, for them, and that that shows in the line. You know, nine strikeouts, no walks, two hits. Uh, but it's then incredible. they take him out of the game. Now, here we are in the sixth, sixth inning. It is two outs. So he already gets two outs because he gets the bottom of the lineup. He gets Marsh again, and he gets Rojas. So it's two outs in the sixth inning, and Schwarber's coming up for a third time. And because our instinct now is uh, anyone pitcher who's pitching well gets pulled is, you know, the most horrible thing we've ever seen, people are pissed, right? They're booing. And I, that's fine. I understand that. I thought this was extremely fine. <laughs> and like, honestly, uh, I know it's like, oh, it's two outs. You can get it. Like one, you mentioned the pitch to Schwarber before his splits, Font splits third time through the order this year. The few times he got to try were catastrophic as they are for a lot of young pitchers. And like, why push it? Like he, he was amazing. And as, as, as uh, Lavello said after the game, yeah, if they're up by five, yeah, you let them go another, you know, 15 pitches. Of course, that was not the case. This is not the, the, the amount of urgency that they demonstrated was totally appropriate and totally fine. And now he gets to leave with one of the great rookie postseason starts of all time. And I think that was he deserved that. I was talking to Jeff Passan about this after the game where he was trying to say, like, that we are in a world where Brandon fought 
is not able to continue his greatness, that he is able to only do something that is pretty cool and not seven innings or eight innings super cool, that's unfortunate. And I kind of agree with Jeff. Yeah, I agree. Point. Like, I agree with that. In yeah. the ideal world, we're letting horses run and we're creating incentives for that to happen as often as possible. But if I'm in the dugout and I'm Tori Lovello, no fucking chance is Kyle Schwarber <laughs> yeah. seeing seeing yeah. Brandon Fott again. And it, it's the previous at-bat that Schwarber had. It's the, the more times Kyle Schwarber sees a pitcher, the more locked in he is against them. He literally said this to me. It is in an article that you wrote this. Like, that I have – he looks – has looked not great against lefties all postseason. And even though it was like, you know, Fott's walking out, you're like, that's unfortunate. It is the right move. Yeah. It is the right move. And we can't – maybe we can critique the the structure of the game that pushes us to that. But in that moment, no doubt, right move. Saul Frank comes in, two Hoosiers facing off, two Indiana Hoosier baseball players. Mm-hmm. And Saul Frank walks him. <laughs> walks him, right. And we've talked about this a good bit. You know, you bring in the lefty with two outs to uh, face a lefty and you're avo- you think you're avoiding a three-batter minimum. And every time they say that, and everyone, people just tweet it, be like, oh, well, you can avoid the three batter minimum if you just bring him in with two outs. It's like, okay, but then, but you know, the guy can not get him out. That's another possibility. Now you're facing Trey Turner. And at that point, like, you're terrified. But fortunately for Mr. Saul Frank, his perfect ERA, his perfect, his flawless, um, oh, no, I guess that that ends up, uh, he gives up a run the next inning because he comes back out. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. Because Andrew Salfrank has not allowed a run as a major league pitcher since he came up uh, in the second half of the year or in the postseason. But anyway, uh, the, we go to the bottom of the sixth. So he gets out of it with Turner. Bottom of the sixth. Uh, Marte doubles again. He looked uh, spectacular all night. They bring in uh, Hoffman to come in with a guy on third with one out. Marte's on third with one out. Hoffman strikes out Moreno, gets Christian Walker to ground out. A Hoff Daddy performance for the ages there. He continues to look great. To the top of the seventh, Bryce Harper leads off with a walk. Out is Saul Frank, in is Ryan Thompson. Alec Boehm singles, infield little dribbler. Okay, and we've got first and second with nobody out. 3-1 count to Bryson Stott. He rolls over a fastball on the outer half for a double play. Harper moves to third with two outs. That was a bad swing. 3-1 3-1 count, lazy swing from Stott. It was exactly what Thompson was trying to do to him. Stott typically is very good in those spots and is able to put a really good at-bat together. For whatever reason, momentary lapse there. We got runner on third, two outs, and it's like, all right, they survived. And then Ryan Thompson, the side armor, just yeets one. Yanks <laughs> a slider, misfire to the backstop. Harper scampers home 1-0. I mean... It's crazy because watching it on replay, Moreno got shockingly close to getting a glove on it, considering where he was set up initially. And then it wasn't that as as I think as I said on the broadcast, the wildest of pitches. Well, <laughs> that's that the is, thing. That is it, it, on, on the spectrum of wild pitch to pass ball. This was <laughs> very. This was a wild pitch. Yeah, uh, and so then it's like in a game where it was impossible to score or drive in a run. Ryan Thompson hands them a run. You strike Salarumoto, though, and we now have a situation where it's like, okay, D-backs offense, you have been asleep for multiple games, and most of this game, like, this is it. Now's the time to go. And Orion Kirkering comes into the game for the Phillies 
What did you think of bringing him in for this spot for the run of Fam Guriel, and then I guess eventually a pinch hitter? Totally fine. That's if you're gonna in a, a close game like that, you want to use someone to get through that pocket of hitters who is not Alvarado, because you want Alvarado facing the very top of this lineup with Carroll. Um, there as a left-handed bat. That's I totally get it. And so your options there are either Kirkering or Sir Anthony Dominguez. Yeah, probably right. Um, and I thought that going with Kirkering was fine. He's been really good all postseason, all like since he came up at the end of the regular season. I didn't really have an issue with it. I think it, it's in the it, you could have put in Dominguez. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I felt like it said something about Dominguez. Like he, Dominguez yeah. does not look good, but um, yeah, I. Yeah, just to start a clean frame, they like to give Dominguez a clean frame. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little surprised it wasn't him. I think they just wanted to get Kirkering in the mix a little bit. And he's just, he's been so good. Yeah, yeah. He no, comes for sure. out. For sure. He comes out and, you know, he his sweeper, slider, whatever the heck it is, is amazing. It's an incredible pitch, right? Mm-hmm. The fastball is good. The slider is the reason he's in on the postseason roster at 12 years old. And he just grooves two of them, yeah. right? If you're throwing a pitch with that much force and intent, sometimes you're just going to throw it in the middle. And a lot of the time, even if you do throw it in the middle, the pitch has so much movement, you can get away with it. He did That was not the case. Tommy Pham single on a sweeper in the middle of the plate. Guriel single on a sweeper in the middle of the plate. Paven Smith kind of dunks one in on a better pitch. Hit, 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 one to one. Yes. So Guriel, right, the double there drives him in. And then now Alvarado comes in for Emmanuel Rivera. And Emmanuel Rivera, <laughs> this was this was I think probably your favorite play um, of the game because we have a runner on third base here, right? It's first and third for with one out for no, uh, or I guess no outs. with no outs with no that's outs. important. Yes, no so first and third with no outs, Emmanuel Rivera, and Emmanuel Rivera grounds one to Trey Turner. This was a incredible play from Trey Turner, an incredible defensive night from Trey Turner after watching him make all these incredibly juvenile mistakes uh, this postseason, he was sensational on defense in this game, particularly with this play. So why don't you run us through what happened in this one? So this is a very interesting baseball play because you have first and third and a tie game, no outs. What you really want to do is get a double play. But if you go for the double play, you are risking that runner on third racing home. Okay, and so your alignment defensively is very odd. You had Alec Bohm playing back behind the bag, and then you had Trey Turner playing in, almost on like the lip of the grass, like right in the baseline. And the idea there is any ground ball hit to Bohm is going to automatically freeze the runner on third, and so he could play further back, and he can turn two and probably keep um, the runner at, at third to stick. Turner is in because he needs to give a look to the runner on third that he might go home. And that's exactly what happens. The ball's hit to Turner. If you watch his feet, he fields the ball moving towards third base in a way that he could easily throw home or to third, even though he knows he's going to turn two. So by doing that, by moving towards the third base, he is freezing that runner. He pivots in a flash, chucks it to second. And if you look at it from the overhead shot, when Bryson Stott is catching the ball, Guriel is on third base. And, like, and if he runs home, Stott is hopping off the bag and throwing it home and getting him out. And it's all because Turner freezes him at third base. And this 
if the Phillies had won, this play would have been the key moment of the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was because, yeah, on first glance, it's like, how does Gurriel not score on, you know, a situation there on a double play? Like, it seems like it just wouldn't fit. But when you watch it, he froze him and he was leaning back towards third. That, yeah, he was able uh, to to keep him in there. Perdomo grounds out. The game stays one-to-one. No runs uh, in the top of the eighth. Kevin Ginkle continues to look great. No runs in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Moreno smacks one very, very, very deep to center field. Probably would have been a homer in a bunch of ballparks, but not in Arizona. Ultimately, Alvarado gets out of the mess. Uh, We go to the top of the ninth, and here comes Paul Seawald. Oh, boy. To the top of the order. Seawald we have not seen yet in this series. Seawall gets Schwarber to fly out, Turner to ground out. He walks Bryce Harper with two outs and then gets Alec Bohm on a strikeout. Probably could have struck him out a few times. This is one of the more questionable strike zones of the game, but he will take it. He throws a sweeper inside on the ninth pitch, gets the call. And we go to the bottom of the ninth, and it's time for Craig Kimbrell. And as usual with Kimbrell... <laughs> You kind of know pretty quickly what you're going to get. Now, credit to Gurriel because this was not just four straight balls. This was three straight balls, but then he battled back. <laughs> he battled back. He gets back in it. Ultimately draws the walk on the eighth pitch. He steals second. So that's, yeah, go ahead. That's the biggest moment of this inning, actually. Mm-hmm. Gurriel walks and immediately steals second. Kimbrell was around 175 to the plate. One second, seven, one point seven five seconds. For people who don't know, MLB averages around one two eight one three, right? Very good is like one one. Bad is like one five one six. Kimber was like one seven one eight in this at bat. That sounds like not that much time, but we've said on this show before, stealing second is a math problem. That's tough math. When he's one eight, Real Muto has zero chance. But what that does, the next batter, Paven Smith hit what would have been a double play ball right to the uh, right side of second base. Bryson Stott makes a nice play in the hole, keeps it on the infield, has no play. First, there are no outs. If that runner, if Gurriel's on first and doesn't steal, that's a problem. Like, Stott is shaded that way to turn two. They may probably make a double play and get out of the inning with, you know, then it's two outs, no beyond. But mm-hmm. to steal second in that spot off Kimbrell, who was doing a bad job holding a runner on, that's the whole game. Yep. Then we get... So we have first and third, uh, nobody out. Manuel Rivera hits one again to Trey Turner, who throws home and gets Lourdes Gurriel out at home. And it's like, all right, well, the Phillies are escaping this. But no, Craig Kimbrell had other ideas. Perdomo walk to make the bases loaded with one out. And then Cattell Marte rips a single into center field. Very inevitable once he stepped to the plate. You yeah. knew he was going to get the job done. And Marte knew Marte, who had looked amazing all night, um, you know, mostly from batting right-handed, but he watched this inning and knew that Kimbrell clearly had no command of his off-speed whatsoever. And basically, at this point, it's bases loaded. He knows he has to attack him. He's looking for the heater. He gets it with the second pitch. He gets it with the first two pitches, and then he's locked in. He smashes it to center field. Third walk-off in D-backs postseason history. Third single to center field. Walk off in D-Bags postseason history. This one was hit a little bit harder than the first two. Um, so credit to Cattell. And the Snakes, as that amazing uh, sign told us, the Snakes. I, I was going to say the Snakes are alive. No, no, no. 
Snakes alive, Jake. Snakes alive. They made it a series. Very odd game. Phillies just looked horrible offensively. I think a lot of that credit does go to Arizona. It, really getting ahead in counts against the Phillies is, is key. Making really good pitches early in counts. You can get ahead, work from ahead, but also not allow hard contact early in counts. Very impressive performance from the Arizona bullpen. So let's spin it forward. We mentioned this earlier. Game four today, they are going to need every single last reliever. They are starting Joe Mantiply in what is a fully advertised bullpen game. The Phillies are going with Christopher Sanchez over Taiwan Walker, which is interesting and not what I thought they were going to do because Walker has said he's not as comfortable out of the bullpen. Sanchez was probably better this year, but it probably made more sense to go with well, Walker. I, well, it, to it, me, it's is, an interesting one. Like, they're, Sanchez is going to start. Like, I'm not viewing this as a piggyback situation. I'm viewing this as we just had our lefty Ranger Suarez kind of dice him yeah. up for a while, and we just like Sanchez's chances to do that for four or five innings. And then my guess would be you're really hoping, if you're from the Philly side, you're probably hoping to get length out of a guy like Strom uh, in a game like this uh, more than, because, you know, he's the guy we we did not see last night. But maybe we see Walker. I don't know. Uh, I think this is just a bet on Sanchez over over him. Yeah. The bullpen thinks to know Alvarado is probably not pitching. Yeah, In game four, he threw two innings yesterday. In game three, for Arizona, I think everyone will be available. Seawald through 21. That's, yeah, but he, he hadn't pitched before. Like, he'll be, yeah, he'll be like, good to go. He'll be good to go. Just keep an eye on if the stuff is down a little bit. Ginkle only 14. Saul Frank 15. Thompson 11. Like, they're yeah. So, the, the key here is there's no shot we're getting. Like, man supply is opening because they want to essentially just get through Harper, right? If they could design it, they would. They just have a one, two, three inning through Schwarber and Harper, and then, in terms of length, you're looking at a Slade Chaconi guy. You're looking at Luis Frias. These are former starters who could maybe go multiple innings. Maybe Ryan Nelson. He obviously looked terrible, so I don't know how much they're going to want to go to him. But he's probably factors in here. We've seen the Diamondbacks win bullpen games in this postseason multiple times, but this is the first time it has been a full blown. Like, this is what we are trying to do, and we hope it works. And I, I <laughs> they might match up them to death. And if anything, I, I don't know if it makes me feel better or worse how bad the Phillies looked offensively in game three, right? On one hand, it's like, oh, they're going to explode and score 10 runs. On the other hand, it's like, they're, they don't, that they were not looking great. So again, it's going to yeah. be about how they're pitching Harper and how the guys around him can kind of make stuff happen. Yeah, it's about getting ahead and counts. And, and, I am more skeptical that seven different Diamondbacks will be able to do that over the course of a day. Like, Fott was amazing and locked Agreed. in, and the other relievers did a good job. But innings one to six tonight, like, you got to get ahead of the Phillies. Got to get agree. ahead of the Phillies. I agree. And the other thing is, Christopher Sanchez, again, a lot of people will be watching him for the first time tonight. Two of his last, you know, three starts in the regular season were seven innings with 10 strikeouts against the Braves uh, and against the Mets. And I know that Mets lineup was not exactly the most impressive group, but still, like, he has shown flashes of being really, really, really good. So, first career postseason appearance for him, right, tonight? Um, he had but, a 3 4, four yeah. ERA in, in 18 basically. starts. Yeah. yeah. So, he, he's he's clearly something. So, um, 
but it'll be interesting because he's, he's still uh, still relatively an, an unknown quantity. So it will be an interesting game four. As we had mentioned coming into the series, This these are the game fours we're talking about, right? This is the game four that in a longer series you're not going to normally get when you're going with the short rest stuff in the earlier rounds. Uh, so this will be something. Quick thing about Alvarado. He threw only 15 pitches yesterday, apparently. So maybe he can't throw today. I know going yeah. multiple innings is another level of stress, but... It's crazy. He got. I know it was a double play there, but yeah, fifteen pitches in two innings. <laughs> no, all insane. the all the. I mean, right? Hoffman only threw nine. Like, I, I would imagine. I mean, the real thing is, Craig Kimbrell's probably not. I mean, Kimbrell throws twenty four and just looks bad. So really, it's a matter of you know, I expect to see Dominguez, and then Alvarado maybe closes it out. Right? There's there's versions of this. Um, it's a lot harder to figure out the the D max order of events other than Mantiply and presumably Ginkle and Seawall to close it out. Everything in between, I have no idea, but I can't wait to see how they do it. I think that's it. I think that's, that's it. Let's end the We're podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Uh, we hope you've been enjoying us going every day. Thank you for. We've had some very kind reviews. Uh, on at least on Apple. So thank you. Keep those coming. We really cool. appreciate that. Uh, thank you for saying nice words. Uh, we will we'll keep this rolling. I believe we'll be going tomorrow on Saturday because that's that's the gig and we'll have baseball to talk about. Uh, but we will, we will confirm that once we get off this Zoom call. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris, for producing. And we will talk to you all very soon. Jake, enjoy the desert. Uh, enjoy it so nice and nice and good weather out there. Enjoy. <laughs> Bye. Sirius XM Podcasts.